0: Good morning and welcome. I'd like to welcome those this morning and those listening on the radio and also listening on Facebook live. Just a few announcements announcements before we get started here today. I'd like to thank the bell choir and thank Dylan for being our guest musician this morning. It's always nice to have you here. And we'd also like to thank Pastor Tory and the Sunday school teachers for their hard work on the children's Christmas program last Sunday. They did such a great job. I'd also like to thank our choir director, Holly Smith, and the choir for the wonderful Christmas Cantata. So, thank you. The white rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Jackson Fisher, who is being dedicated during our worship service this morning. The Giving Tree is still up in the Heritage Room. It benefits the Elizabeth New Life Pregnancy Center in Sydney. So please take a tag and return it, return your gift or gift card by December 27th. If you notice, the blue jug, jug has made an appearance again up here on the steps, and this is for the tornado disaster aid. These donations will go to Samaritan's Purse, which has teams on the ground assisting vic- victims in all the states. Just a couple other changes here real quick. The choir, pra- choir will have practice at 7.30 on Wednesday. And as received, at 7.30 for the Christmas Eve service. So now I'd like to invite Pastor Joel up here to share a couple proposed changes on the Constitution and bylaws.
1: Thank you, Keith. Well, I'm not, you're not going to hear about them directly from me, but I, what I do want to point your attention to is a packet of information. There's several copies over there um, at the Info Center. Um, this is something that, and as you can read and you'll hear more about next week, um, something that is that uh, spiritual council and consistory has been working on for some time um, and we're going to be presenting it at the annual meeting in January. But we wanted to get copies of it in your hands as soon as possible. Um, and those copies there are, like I said, there are some copies over at the info center. Um, you can also stop by the office throughout the week if you'd like to pick up a copy there. Um, but we want to encourage you to look at those. Um, read them over and take a look at them before the meeting in January. Um, the packet over there includes four parts. There's the constitution, there's the bylaws, there's one um, a single page about, the, um, about something about procedures, and then the last part of it is not part of the document, but it's a summary of changes that may help you kind of quickly review what is being changed and what is not. So I want to encourage you to take a look at that. If, there, if we run out of copies over there, we can make more copies in the office. Um, but that is something I want to encourage you to take a look at, and you'll hear more from our Consistory President, Stan Reinecke next Sunday as well. So thank you so much.
0: Please rise and join me to call worship, taken from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 12. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to his people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great for his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as are removed our from us. So now let us sing hymn number 145 O Come All You Faithful.
1: Amen. You may be seated. This time in our service, I want to invite forward Robert and Tiana Fisher with their son Jackson for dedication. You know, as we talked about, uh, talked about this day and talked about when we wanted to schedule this, and you throughout this date, I told you guys this would be a perfect time to do a child dedication the Sunday before Christmas. As we reflect on the birth of Christ and what that means for us, it's a great opportunity also to reflect on what Jesus means for you guys as a family and his salvation and, and how you want to pass that on to Jackson as he grows up in the faith and, and for your opportunity as parents to set an example for him. You know, as we think about what child dedication is, that's, that's really what it's all about. It's about the commitment you two are making to raise Jackson in the Lord, to honor him, to serve him, to love him, to set that example so that he can do that as he gets older as well. So I want to invite you to hear these words from Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Enter it. And he took the child in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Just as Jesus welcomed children and did not turn them away, we also welcome children into the life of this church and desire to nurture them in the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses tells the people of Israel this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The commandment that I give you today will be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I love that passage because it reminds us, Hey, bud, you are ready to go today, aren't you? Um, It reminds us that that our faith is not meant to be contained in just Sunday mornings, right? It's an all-of-life commitment. It's an all-of-life faith. And so as you are standing here before the Lord, promising to dedicate Jackson to him, it's about making a faith a part of your everyday life. As you're getting up, as you're walking around, as you're going about your everyday regular business, it's about making your faith a part of that. And so it's important for us to hear from you. Robert and Tiana, about the faith that you do share in the Lord. So these next questions are for you. Robert and Tiana, do you desire to dedicate your child to the Lord and promise to raise him to know, love, and serve him? Praise God. And knowing your commitment to do just that, I invite you to answer these questions as well. Do you truly and earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life, Amen. And do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting in His promises, obeying to live? We do. Praise God. And will you invo- will you devote yourselves to the church's teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers? We do. We, do. we Praise will. God. Praise God. And this faith that you just heard them profess is a faith that we all share together as a church family. And so, at this time, I want to invite you to repeat the words of the Apostles' Creed with me together as we profess that same faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, O God, for the gift of life. We thank you for this family and for this child being dedicated today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift through the death and resurrection of your son Jesus Christ. You have made it possible for us to be accepted into your family. I pray that you would bless and sustain this child, draw him to yourself just as you welcome the children during your ministry. May you grow to, may He grow to know, love, and serve you with his heart, soul, mind, and strength and, may, and we also now pray for his parents that you 'd equip them to fulfill the promise they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their child to know and love you. All this we pray in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So at this time, this is, we get to the, the commitment that you guys are making, the vow. And as I said, this is really all about the commitment that you two are making to raise Jackson in, in the Lord. You know, he gets all the attention today, right? He's the one that's going to be at the center of all the photos and everything. Um, But it's really about the commitment that you guys are making to pass that faith on to him, the faith that we just heard you profess. And so I invite you to hear these questions and respond uh, about this commitment that you're making today. Since you've presented Jackson for dedication, we ask you the following questions before God and his people. Do you promise to instruct him by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for him and teach him to pray? And do you promise to nurture him within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? Praise God. Praise God. And church family, we, the reason we do this as part of the service is because we know that, that it takes a church family, right, to come alongside them and support them to fulfill this promise. We believe that parents, of course, are the first disciple makers. You know, the primary responsibility is on you guys, which is what this is all about but we don't want you to do this alone or feel like you're doing this alone either. We as a church family want to love and support you through this. You know, that comes through formal ways like Sunday school classes and youth group and those sorts of things, Sunday morning services, but it also comes through informal ways, through prayer, through encouragement, through that support that comes from the Christian community. So church family, I encourage you to support them in their endeavor as they commit to raise Jackson in the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we receive Jackson into Christ's church, I charge you to nurture and love him and to assist him to be Christ's faithful disciples. With joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love and encourage and support you and to help you know and follow Christ. Amen. Here's the part right here. Hey, Jackson. Oh, lost the binky. <laughs> all right. How's it going? Jackson Mark Fisher, I dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Ah. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for... (laughs) That looks like a toy, doesn't it? That's my microphone now. Thank you for... The free gift of salvation that you have made available through his death and resurrection. We pray for Jackson. Bless and strengthen him daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to him the riches of your love and deepen his faith. Keep him from the power of evil. Enable him to live holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May he grow to know, love, and serve you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also ask that you look for, with kindness upon Robert and Tiana. Let them always rejoice in the gifts you have given them. Grant them in the, the presence of your Holy Spirit that they may bring up Jackson to know you, love you, and serve you and their neighbor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, congratulations. Here is Jackson back to you. We survived the microphone incident. We're good to go. Uh, we have a Bible here for you. We encourage you to take that home with you and read that together as a family. Oops, sorry. There you go. And, of course, the white rose on the altar is for you uh, after the service. So thank you, guys. And as they find their seats again, I want to invite our, um, I think it's Maria, up for children's chat with our children here this morning. So invite you all to come forward for that.
2: Let's come this way, guys. How are we doing this morning? Good. All right. So let's see here. What do we all have in my bag today? Let's see. Hmm. What do we have here? Who is this? Santa and Jesus. And what is Santa doing? Bringing
3: bringing baby Jesus a gift.
2: Bringing baby Jesus a gift? Yeah. Well, who is more important? Jesus or Santa Claus? Jesus. Good answer, guys. Jesus. And you know, I love this. I love this and I set it out every year at Christmas because it reminds me That even Santa Claus worships Jesus and thinks that he is very, very important. And I came across a story. And um, Santa Claus actually told this story. And he said it is called Teach the Children. So this is what Santa Claus wants you to know about Christmas. Okay? So, let's see. What do we have here? All right. What color is the Christmas tree? Why? What is special about an evergreen tree? It never loses. It. And? It's always, green. it's always green. It's always green. It represents God's everlasting life through Jesus. And all the needles point upward to remind our hearts and thoughts. That they need to go toward God in heaven. Okay, let's see what else do we have in here. Oh, here it is. What's this? A star. Gee, uh, Santa said, "Teach the children that the star was the heavenly sign of the promise long ago, because what was shining up in the sky? The stars. Who followed the stars?" Yes, and God promised a savior for the world, and the star was the... All right, here it is. What do we have here? Candle. A candle. Why do we light candles? Why, why are candles? For light. Light. Is Jesus the light of the world? Yes, he is. And when we see this great light, he reminds us that he cleans out the darkness he disperses the darkness in this world all right all right what do we have here a wreath wreath. santa wants us to know that the wreath is a symbol of eternal love what shape is a wreath does a circle have a beginning does it have an end and that's like God's love. It does not have a beginning or an end. Real. then it's not a wreath anymore. It's not a wreath anymore if you cut it in half. Okay. So, teach the children that the wreath symbolizes the eternal na- nature of love. Real no- love never ceases. It never ends. A, a gift. A present. Who Was the greatest gift ever given to us. Jesus was. God gave us his only son to come to earth. And we need to be thankful for that. Okay. All right. Got a couple more things in here. What do we have here? A candy cane. cane. Okay. What colors are on a candy cane? Red and white. Well. Well. But the original candy cane was red and white. The red stands for the blood of Jesus when he was crucified on the cross. And the white is a symbol of purity. Now, when we hold our candy cane like this, what does it look like? A shepherd's crook, a shepherd's staff. Yep. And why did a shepherd need one of these? catch the sheep because they sometimes wander away do we ever wander away yeah. sometimes as you get older you might wander away and not think coming to church is a good idea and so the shepherds would take their crook and hook it around the sheep's neck and say hey dude you got to follow me
3: yeah yeah. yeah. And
2: that it did not hurt all right what do we have here? Bells. bells. We have bells. What?
3: what? My mommy takes my bells out of the track and So when my dog opens the track and he, he 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 looks at the door and thinks so and tear, but it, but no one's here. Oh my
2: goodness. All right, so sheep. And other animals sometimes wear bells. And that's so that the the person taking care of them can find them. Okay? And so we always want to listen for the sound so that we don't get lost. So that we can make sure that we always believe that Jesus was born for each one of us. And he loves us very much. Oh, yeah? Awesome. Um,
3: dark outside and they and
2: see. Cool. All right. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Who is more important at Christmas? Jesus. Santa or Jesus? Jesus? Jesus. All right. And since you all got that answer correct, when I'm done praying, if you go look on the pew by Tori, there's a treat for you. But hold on. We got to pray first. All right, fold your hands, bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children. Thank you for sending Jesus to come into the world as a tiny baby so that we could remember every year that you gave us the most important gift ever, your son, Jesus. Please look over these children as we celebrate Christmas. Keep them healthy and safe. And remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. In his name we pray. Amen.
1: Thanks, kids. Don't forget to pick up your candy canes on your way back. This time I want to invite forward my family for the lighting of the Advent candle.
3: As we gather around the Advent wreath today, we rejoice that Christmas is the time of prayer and of open hearts when we sing songs of joy. Christmas is the time of worship, the moment when the busiest of us pause in wonder. Christmas happens when God comes to us in love through Jesus Christ and fills us with love for all people. For God's uh, John 3, 16 and 17 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is love. Such great love helps us to love God and one another.
1: Our second reading is from John 13, 34-35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Let's pray together. O God, we thank you that Jesus showed your love for every person, babies and children, old people and young, sick people and those who are strong, rich people and those who are poor. Come to us in this Advent season and give us love in our hearts for all people. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You guys can head back to your seats. This time as we turn our attention to the offering this morning, uh, we, it co- uh, the, excuse me. the offering this morning goes to support the Elizabeth New Life Center, which is also what our Giving Tree supports here today. So if you're able to give, I encourage you to do so as the Lord leads you to. So this time I'll invite the deacons forward to collect the offering. And once again, thank you, Dylan, for being here and offering up a special music today. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in his first letter to them, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Our next song reminds us that in all circumstances, Jesus Christ shall be praised. Let's, continue, let's stand and continue worshiping God by reading the, singing the marked verses of number 87, May Jesus Christ be praised. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. We stand here together as your body, as, your, as the church family here in this place, whether in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook, and we praise your holy name because you certainly are worthy of it. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in your, our lives as you have done so far. You have been faithful in the past, and we ask that you continue to, To be faithful in the future. We ask for healing where it's needed, for provision where it's needed, and certainly, Lord, for you to work according to your will and not our own. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. You see there is a, a another scripture reading listed in your bulletin. I encourage you to have that open and follow along or follow along in your own Bibles here this morning. But I'm going to be kind of touching on those verses, especially verses 6 and 7 as I share our sermon as I preach the sermon here this morning. So in lieu of reading it in its entirety ahead of time, I just encourage you to have that open as as we look at the scripture today. So I invite you to pray with me again as we ask for God's blessing on this time. Father God, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts and minds what you have to say to us today in your word. May you give me words to speak that honor and glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So do you guys all remember reading Romeo and Juliet in English class, right? The story of two star-crossed lovers, right? Juliet is distraught that when she discovers that the boy that she falls in love with is a member of the rival family, right? He is a Capulet, she is a Montague, and their last names mean that they can't be together. And so she asks the question, right, what's in a name? And the famous line, right, that which we call a rose would by any other name smell as sweet. Sweet. Her point is that names don't define a person, They are accidental. A rose would still be a rose if it was called by a different name, and Romeo would still be Romeo if he had a different name and belonged to a different family. And Juliet begs Romeo, of course, to deny his name so that they can be together. Scripture, however, has a different perspective. Scripture says that names are not accidental, that they are packed with meaning, that names point to a person's character and identity. And the irony of Romeo and Juliet is that their names do define an aspect of their character and identity. Try as they might, they couldn't escape the shadow of their families. And the story, of course, ends in tragedy. And so today, the passage that we're going we're gonna to spend some time looking at from Exodus 34 talks about the name of the Lord. Moses, in just the verses preceding this, at the end of chapter 33 and the start of chapter 34 had asked God says that he can do that the Lord says I will pass by but you can't see me in all my glory and so he says that he will hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and cover him with his hand and Moses will just catch a glimpse of him as he passes by and so that's what he does here in verse in chapter 34 verses 6 and 7 and as he does so he proclaims his name to Moses he says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. See, this is one of the most important passages of Scripture because it, it's how God describes himself. This is the name that God gives himself. It describes His character. And these verses are often repeated throughout Scripture as God's people reflect on the nature and character of God. And what we see here, when God proclaims His name, the focus is on God's love. God could have focused on any other number of attributes, His holiness, His power, His justice, and they all would have been true. But God chooses in this moment to focus His attention on love. And John, it's not surprising then that the Apostle John picks up on this theme in the New Testament, right? In 1 John 4:16, he simply says, God is love. Now notice there, he doesn't say that God is loving. He doesn't say that God sometimes loves his people. He says, God is love. It's essential to his character and identity. And that's exactly how the Lord himself, that's how the Lord describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34. There's a specific word that, that the Lord uses to describe his love, and it's the word hesed. It's a Hebrew word that is used over 200 times in the Old Testament, and overwhelmingly it's used to describe God's love toward his people. It's a deep, committed, strong type of love. It's off, it can be often translated as loving kindness, and it describes his loyal, faithful covenant love. See, God's love is shown through his faithfulness, to his promises he will do what he promises to do and that's how Moses describes the Lord in Deuteronomy 7 9 once again using that same word for love he says know therefore that the Lord your God is God he is a faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments see God demonstrates his love through his character and his actions we don't have to question God's love because we can see it in action in God, the way God treats his people, particularly through the person of Jesus Christ. And notice here it says that he's abounding in love, right? It's not just a little bit of love. It's not just loving every once in a while. God is, loves always and to the fullest extent. You know, when we tell our kids, I love you, You know, it often turns into a little bit of a game. I'm sure you parents know what I mean. I love you, and I love you more, right? I love you most. Remember when Josephine was younger, she used to say, I love you mostest. And then uh, Miles more recently has been saying, I love you most as possible, which, as you can tell, isn't exactly proper English. But the point he's trying to convey is that he loves us more, right, as most as possible. And that's exactly the kind of God, love that God has for us. He loves us most as possible. God loves, God's love for us is so big, so abounding, that it's impossible to really wrap our minds around it. And so the theme of today's Advent candle is love. Right? The birth of Jesus is a tangible reminder of God's love for us. So we're going to take a quicker, a closer look at Exodus 34, 6-7. through seven, And we'll see there's three ways here that God that we can experience God's love for us first through a personal relationship with the Lord through his character and also through his forgiveness. And so we see that God starts this self-proclamation by identifying his, himself as the Lord the Lord. And there are two things that we should notice here. First, he repeats himself. Right? Whenever somebody repeats himself, especially in scripture, we should pay attention because it's probably important. And so we see him say the Lord the Lord He's trying to get our attention. But the second thing that we need to notice maybe isn't so obvious for those of us who read our Bibles in English. If you were to open your Bible and, and you're following along, you probably notice that the word Lord there is in all caps, right? Anytime the name, the word Lord appears in all capital letters in our Bibles, it's actually a stand-in for the personal name of God, which is Yahweh, or sometimes in certain translations, Jehovah. And so what, what, God is saying is he's, he's using his own personal name. He's not using a generic name for God. He's using his own personal name, the name that he gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. When Moses asked, who should I say has sent me? He says, I tell him that I am has sent you. And so that name Yahweh is, is very similar to that phrase, I am. It's the personal name of God. Our English Bibles often follow this old tradition of of substituting the name of God for Lord in order to, you know, accidentally avoid accidentally uh, violating the second commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. So whenever you see that, that word Lord in all caps, it's actually the name Yahweh. And why is that name important? Remember it's the personal name of God, right? It's he's not a God who is distant from us that remains far off, uninvolved in creation. He is a God who chooses to know us that we may know him as well see that's why jesus was born so that we could have a relationship with god in the first chapter of matthew the author makes a connection between the birth of jesus and a prophecy from isaiah 7:14. right we're all familiar therefore the lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son who will call him emmanuel and matthew rightly points out that emmanuel means god with us Right? So when Jesus was born, it is, it is God with us, the Son of God, the, the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, became a human being like us in order to know us and save us from our sins, in order to have a personal relationship with us. And in John 1, we see this promise. Yet to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent or of human decision nor a husband's will, but born of God. The key to entering into that personal relationship with God and experiencing that faithful, loyal love of the Father is to believe in Jesus Christ and receive Him as Savior and Lord. Through Him we can become children of God. And so we experience God's love through a personal relationship with Him, through Jesus, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Second, we can experience His love Through his, what his love is like through his character. Right? He's a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands. Right? Through a personal relationship with God, we can experience what God's love is like. We see here from this description that God's love is not harsh, right? It's not cold and distant, it is a steadfast and strong love. We already looked at that word for love, which appears twice in this verse. And he abounds in love and maintains it to thousands. And there are a few other words here that help paint a picture of what God's love is like. First, we see that the Lord is merciful. He's a gracious and compassionate God. Right? The word compassion is related to the word mercy. Right? To be merciful is not just a feeling, uh, excuse me, it's, it's to withhold judgment or punishment towards someone who deserves it. In other words, it's not just a feeling or an attitude, it's, 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 it's at love in action by withholding punishment or judgment that someone deserves. And grace is is kind of the opposite of that. Gracious means to show favor to those who favor. He is kind and loving towards us even when we don't deserve it. And so you see how how mercy and grace go hand in hand. Mercy is, is not getting what we do deserve, and grace is receiving what we don't deserve. God is compassionate and gracious towards us. Second, we see that the Lord is patient. It says that he is slow to anger, and what a blessing that is, right? In a world of instant outrage and hot takes, right? The angrier angrier we get, the more attention, excuse me, the angrier we are, the more attention we get. The loudest person in the room often gets the most attention, but that's not the way of the Lord, right? He is slow to anger. He is patient. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 reminds us, that his patience leads to repentance. It says he is not slow in keeping his promises, as some as some think. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see that? Not only is he patient, right? He he he's he's not slow in keeping his promises, he's not forgetful, he's patient so that we can know him and repent from our sins. And he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, as our call to worship reminded us, right? Um, that, that he does not treat us as our sins deserve, but but he showers his love on us, his love that is higher as, the, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's the kind of love that God has for us. He is certainly a patient God. And third, we see that the Lord is steadfast. The next pair of words that describes God's character are love and faithfulness. And once again, we see that these two words go hand in hand. We've already talked about that loyal love of God, and it is now paired with God's faithfulness, which means that God is reliable. He is steadfast. He's not going to change his mind on a whim. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, people are fickle, right? People often say one thing and do another. They don't keep their word, but that's not who God is. God is a promise-keeping God. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He is true. And he, he will not lie. He does not change his mind. And if he promises something, he will do it. You see, faithfulness is very much related to the idea of truth, right? To be faithful is to be true to something. And notice here that there's no disconnect between God's love and his truth. In our world today, we think that you can't have one If you have the other, that the more you love something, the less you you have to hold on to truth in order to love them or or the more you hold on to truth, the less loving that you are. But in God, we see that he is both abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness, abounding in truth. God doesn't compromise one for the other. He doesn't he doesn't stop loving you in order to speak truth. He doesn't speak truth in an unloving way. He is fully loving and fully truthful and faithful. And so we see here that he also maintains his love, right? Which is so important, right? Because, because if it's left to up to us, we will not maintain love for ourselves, right? We will fall short, we will fail. In other words, his love sustains us when we can't go on anymore. The same God who loved you while you're still a sinner will maintain his love for you throughout your life. So do you feel unlovable? God abounds in love and faithfulness and he maintains his love for you. Do you feel like you've made a mess of it and don't deserve God's love anymore? Well, his love and faithfulness abounds and he maintains his love for you. Do you feel alone, lost, confused, unsure of yourself? God abounds in love and faithfulness and he maintains his love for you. Do you sometimes wander from God and have doubts and questions about his goodness? But God abounds in love and faithfulness and he maintains his love for you. And finally, we see that we can experience God's love through his forgiveness. It says that he forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents, the third and fourth generations. You know, God's love for us means forgiveness for lost sinners. The good, and that's good news because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Scripture is very clear that we've all fallen short of God's glory and that we have all gone astray. We've been, all been guilty from Adam and Eve on down. And our greatest love, is for, our greatest need, excuse me, is forgiveness and reconciliation. In C.S. Lewis's classic story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right, we get this description of, of Narnia as a land that is covered in snow. It's under the curse of the White Witch, right? And it has been for a century. For a century. And one of the characters describes it as, as a land where it is always winter and never Christmas. And so as, as the story unfolds, we see the, the the snow begin to melt and the air begin to get a little bit warmer. And one of the characters reflects on this, noticing that the, the curse that has been on the land seeming to be lifted. They said, well, it can only mean one thing, that Aslan, who's the Christ figure, Aslan is on the move. That's what Christmas means that God is on the move. The arrival of Jesus is the start of God's rescue mission to save us from our sin. John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God forgives us, but he also doesn't leave sin unpunished. If we're honest with ourselves, that's the part that makes us uncomfortable. We're all about God's covenant, loyal, faithful love. But then we get to this last part about God punishing sin and it, we kind of squirm a bit. If God forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, then why all this talk about judgment and punishment? Can't he just forgive sin and be done with it? You see, God does not forgive sin by ignoring it. He forgives sin by dealing with it once and for all. In fact, God God would be unloving if he ignored sin. Really, in in reality, God's wrath towards sin is an extension of his love. And let me give you an illustration to maybe help you understand this. As a parent, right, I want to love and protect and care for my children. And I don't want to see anybody harm them or anything bad come to them. And so out of my love for them, if someone were to harm them, I would want to see that dealt with, right? If someone were to harm my child or do violence against my child, I would want to see that justice, righteous justice is done on their behalf. See, that's what's, that's what, how God views sin. He sees it as, you know, sin is harmful, It may not be obviously harmful. We may not immediately see the effect of sin in our lives, but it is harmful. And God, as our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, is rightly angry toward sin. Not towards His people, not towards His children, but towards sin. And He wants to protect us from it. He wants to save us from the penalty, power, and even the presence of sin in our lives. So yes, God's punishment for sin is right and just. It is loving And God's plan for his creation includes punishing sin and removing it completely from his presence. And yet God in his infinite mercy provides a way to forgive us and pour out his wrath towards sin. And of course that's made possible through Christ on the cross. Jesus becoming sin for us so that we might receive the righteousness of God. Jesus taking the penalty of sin, the wrath, God's righteous wrath towards sin upon himself so that we can experience God's Faithful, loyal love. See, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Christmas. That God has sent His Son to rescue us from our sin, so that we can ex- to take God's punishment for sin upon Himself, so that we can experience His love. There is no greater gift than that. And as we close, we need to reflect on God's how God's overwhelming love for us changes us. Right? We cannot remain the same once we've experienced his merciful, faithful love. That's that command he gives. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. Notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't just say to love one another in a general way. He says we are to love others in the same way that he loves us. If his love is faithful, ours must be too. If his love is patient, then ours must be too. If his love is sacrificial, then ours must be too. If his love is forgiving, then ours must be too. And if he loved us, even when we least deserved it, we should do the same for others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love for us, which you pour out to us in our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the perfect example of your steadfast love, which is Jesus laying down his life for us. Through his death and resurrection, we experience a personal relationship with you, we experience your, your faithful, merciful love and we experience your forgiveness. I pray that every person here and listening on the radio and Facebook would know and experience that love for themselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service, I invite you to stand one more time as we sing how deep our Father's love for us. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. You may go in peace.